church for like six months my whole family was illness free and then this week it's just there's two standing and they're gonna fall soon uh, but I've been up since 3 a.m. so hopefully this goes all right uh, who in here is really terrified to have hard, confrontational conversations? Mark, Tyler, it's two of our staff team, that's not good. Uh, when we have to, you, you do know that there's times where we have to have these hard conversations. It's, it becomes necessary, and so we develop these tactics to kind of slide in real easy and have the conversation. Maybe it's just a joke. You make the joke enough and maybe hopefully the person gets that you're not really joking, you're being serious. Or maybe you try the Oreo method where you say something nice about the person and then you deliver the bad news followed by another nice thing about the person. Or maybe if you didn't date the person in high school that you're married to, you had a conversation with someone that you eventually broke up with and you used the phrase, it's not you, it's me. And everyone who's ever heard that knows that that's a lie. <laughs> it is you. Or, as I was uh, confirmed this morning by my friend, you can be like me who is a lot like this uh, sledgehammer. And you just say the things you gotta say. <laughs> Consequences or not, they're just gonna happen. Does that sound fun? Sometimes the consequences aren't fun, but you know, sometimes it works. So, I'm not breaking up with you. But for those who call Church on the Rock home, we got to have a conversation this morning. And I hope that you will know that to the best of my ability, I want this to come with grace. And that you should expect grace from me and the Lord. Because when he reveals our weaknesses, that's what we should expect. It's actually a great thing for us to have our weaknesses pointed out because in our weaknesses, we can turn to the Lord and say, can you help us with this? So what's the weakness that we want to talk about this morning? You have been with someone or heard someone say when visiting a church, I didn't really feel welcomed when I walked into that building. You said that about a church? Have you heard other people say that about a church? When I was visiting uh, my family back down south, this will remain nameless, but it is not my wife who did, who did this. We're visiting a church. It's a very new church, also meeting in a, in a gym similar to this, smaller. Uh, I walk in the door, and I must have had 10 people say hello to me. 
very welcoming to me. And this other person walks in almost beside me and afterwards says, those people were rude. They didn't say anything to me. And I thought, uh, that wasn't them, it was you. <laughs> that was your perception of what happened, but that's not actually true. We hear stuff all the time about our church, right? It's this way, it's that way. I mean, we just did that last week where people are making uh, statements about worship and we take that into consideration and go, okay, where, where are we at? And so today we're gonna talk about our ability, Church on the Rock's ability to be hospitable to those who aren't family because we have heard from other people that they come and experience us as people who are not that welcoming. And if you hear that one time, it's like, okay, that's fine. If you hear it a few times, it's like, okay, we should probably do something about that. And so over the next year, we're going to spend and be uh, attentive, make an investment in creating a culture of hospitality at Church on the Rock. Not a program, not a strategy, but a culture that welcomes in the outsider and says, you're welcome here. So my objective today is to present you with five different aspects of what biblical hospitality is. We're not telling you the strategy. We're not talking about what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about hospitality and what it looks like from a biblical standpoint. You ready? Okay. What is biblical hospitality? Number one, biblical hospitality is practiced. It's practiced. Romans 12, 13 says, share with the world, with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's a very simple thing. Practice hospitality. What does that really mean, though, to practice something? Paul is going to write in multiple places, but in first, excuse me, in Titus 1, 7 through 9, he says this. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of God, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. Seems like a high task to be all of those things, to be an overseer of a church, to be a leader. So Paul is calling, if you're going to be someone who's above reproach and lead the church, you should be hospitable. That should be a characteristic of who you are. In fact, when he's writing in Romans 12, what he's describing is, don't be conformed to the world. And then right after that, the next session, he says all these attributes of what a Christian is, loving, kind, 
Oh, by the way, you should practice hospitality. So is this something that the leaders of the church should practice? Sure. Who else is on deck to show hospitality? Paul, writing to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 9, says that the widows who are trying to get aid from the church should be hospitable. They should practice. If you would take a, a, a widow out of our congregation, you could argue that that's, that's a lower status than the elder. Right? And I don't mean they don't have worse. I just mean it's, a, it's, it's different. The elder and the widow are supposed to both show hospitality. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, the spiritual gifts, what you'll find is that hospitality is not there. And yet the fruit of the Spirit says that if the God of the universe is indwelling in you, you should be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, expressing kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. This isn't just for the elder. It's not just for the widow. It's for everyone in between. Practice hospitality because God has called you to it. If you show up to men's chapel, what you will see is a table, tables in the, in the big room, someone speaking, and it's very simple. If you show up to women's chapel, guess what you find? Liz Jones and Jordan Tutt make that place feel like a home. I mean, it's just incredible. Men's chapel looks nothing like that. Do you know why? Because I set it up. I try. But I don't compare to Liz Jones and Jordan Tutt in their ability to make it feel homey. But that's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is not you saying, hey, look at how good my home looks or, or look at how wonderful and big my space is to bring in so many people. It's not, it's not about making much of you. It's about welcoming them, making, making someone else feel at home. The qualifier is not what you provide, but how you welcome someone. When I was in college, uh, this was pre-Christian Matt. I believed that God was God. He just wasn't my God. And so there was this place called Five Points where we would go as college students. You know what I'm saying? We'd go there and we would hang out and we would visit restaurants and establishments and we would go in between different ones. And on the corner uh, in Five Points, there typically was a street preacher. And I walk by this guy, and I would I, I would hear what he would say, and I would I would agree with him, but I, there's no way I was going to talk to that guy. And I'm not saying street preaching is bad; it's got its place, but you could argue that it's not very hospitable. And then it came time for the Lord to to get a hold of me, 
And do you know how he did that? He did it through a pastor and a group of men who opened up their home, welcomed me in, and I saw the kindness of God through the practice of hospitality in this unassuming home as we cooked bacon and talked about God. This isn't about what you bring to the table. It's not the spread that you lay out. You are not impressive. The God in you is. So we practice hospitality. Every believer in this room is qualified to practice hospitality. Every one of us. So you're qualified. Number two, biblical hospitality is practiced to strangers. If you look at the Greek word in the New Testament for hospitality, it quite literally is love the stranger. It's how the word is formed. That's what hospitality is. Looking to the one who is outside. It's not about being a good host, but it's pursuing the outsider. Acts 2, 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every time I have heard anyone talk about Acts 2, what's the, what's the, the present force in Acts 2? It's the Holy Spirit at work in the whole world, testifying to the work that Jesus has done. The promised Holy Spirit has come in the day of Pentecost. Do you know what else is at work at Pentecost? hospitality. Here's all these people coming, being drawn in by the Lord. And what are they doing? They're visiting the temple, hearing the word, sharing in what the Holy Spirit is doing, and then they're going to their home, breaking bread together. And every day, more people are coming and more people are being invited into the same thing that's happening. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Is it possible that the Holy Spirit is empowering hospitality within the church in order to draw more people into it? Absolutely. Luke 15, the whole chapter, the whole chapter. It's parable after parable about seeking the one who is outside. The lost sheep, the shepherd drops everything to go after the one that's not there. The woman in the house with the 10 coins cleans the entire house to look at the, after the one that she doesn't know where it is. And then the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, verse 20. 
But while he was still in the distance, the prodigal son, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. The whole chapter is about going after the one who is outside. My question to us is, do we take the same stance as the father in that parable? The one who's looking at that door, expecting God to bring someone in who doesn't know him. Ephesians 2, 12 through 14. Remember that at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What Christ did on the cross after his resurrection was tear the barrier which prevented you from experiencing him in his fullness. He tore down the wall of hostility and what I'm telling you now is that hospitality towards the stranger is partnering with Christ in tearing down the barriers that prevent others from coming here and experiencing his grace. Picking up something to tear down that wall is as simple as saying, you're welcome here. because that's exactly what Christ has done for us. Every believer in this room was once a stranger. And it is only through Christ that we have been reconciled because he tore down what prevented us from coming to him. Namely, our sin. Number three, biblical hospitality is practiced to strangers who experience God's grace. The point of hospitality, drawing someone else in, is so that you who have experienced the grace of the Lord can tell someone else about the grace of the Lord. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Stewarding his grace looks like hospitality, showing grace to the one who is a stranger. Welcoming others in, sharing them, sharing Christ's loves with them. 
Matthew 25, if you want to be challenged about hospitality above any other chapter in the, in the, in the Bible, read Matthew 25. Matthew 25 says the, the parable of the talents. You guys know the parable. There's a master, and he has three workers. And the master gives the first worker five talents, the second worker three talents, and the third worker one talent. The master returns. And the one who had five talents comes to the master and says, hey, look, I, I took your five talents and I have five more. I doubled it. The second worker comes back with six talents. The third worker comes back and he says this. Matthew 25, 24 and 25 says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here is what is yours. Do you understand what's happening is, some people read this and they think talents, quite literally in the parable, is a form of money. And so this passage is sometimes used to say this is how you should double your money for God's glory. Or maybe your own spiritual talents. What's happening in the story is the ones who go out and tell, go out and double the investment, the Lord says, the master in the parable says, enter into the joy of your master, enter into salvation. But the one who got one talent says, this is how I know God. He's a hard man doing things that I can't comprehend, doing things that I can't. So what he's essentially doing is he's taking this gift from the Lord and then he's just sitting on it. The point of you experiencing God's grace is so that you know a freedom that the world does not. And because we possess that grace, we have the opportunity to then share that grace with others. Remember the story of the woman of the streets who comes in and uh, blesses Jesus with uh, the oil, anoints his, his feet? The disciples are like, what, what's happening here? Why would, she, why would she do that? Says, Jesus says, this woman has been forgiven much, and she will forgive much. But if you are forgiven little, you will forgive little. To the degree that you experience God's grace is the degree that you should share it with other people. Express it to other people. And I'm telling you, 
But if you have been saved, it is by grace through faith. And that is an expression of hospitality towards other people. Hospitality is an expression of gratitude for God's grace and an invitation for other people to experience it. That's by nature what hospitality is. So what happens when the grace of the Lord is experienced through hospitality? Number four, biblical hospitality is practiced to strangers who experience God's grace and who become family. It's the ultimate goal of hospitality is to invite someone in, make them feel welcomed. And in that moment, in that place, they meet the living God. And in so meeting him, they become his, part of our family. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. careful with this one because I love our church and I think we're pretty good at loving each other look around this room I see so many faces I was just like man this is awesome I love being a part of this church and what God is doing through us And it would be really easy for us to look inward at what God has done in us and miss the stranger that's looking in on what we have. To miss the stranger who doesn't know what it's like to be a part of our family, to experience the grace the love, the compassion, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness of God's church. John records that as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks down at John and he says, behold, my mom and he looks at his mom and he says, behold, my son. And what he means by that is, John, I want you to take care of my mom. I'm not going to be here anymore to do that. What Jesus is doing in both of these verses is he's saying that family is more than your physical family. And you, your wife, your parents, and your kids. You have a spiritual family now. 
And it is God's intent to grow that spiritual family. You may be tempted to hear me saying as a pastor, oh, I see, this is about a numbers game. It's time for Church on the Rock to grow. I, I could care less. This is not about the number of people who are in this building. This is about the culture that we have and being obedient to what God has called us to, which is the outsider. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him, the whole building is fitted together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We can't be satisfied inwardly of what God has already done. We must expect that God is going to achieve his goal and his purposes of growing his kingdom right here in this church, in Homer, in our community. And we need to partner with him in order to do that. Every time, well, I should say, especially the last two times, Maranatha and I have had a baby. We both come home and we think, I don't know how we're going to do this. And then like three months later, we look at each other and we say, I don't know how we could live life without this one. You understand what I mean? You experience the life of someone coming into your home and they become your family. And then you think... I can't do this without them. This is exactly the way that we should look at new people coming into Church on the Rock. What family is God wanting to, to build in us? What new person wants to come and be a part that we don't know, that we want to get to know, but we don't know exists? I feel it in the room. My wife is an introvert. And I'm an extrovert. And there's these moments where I'm like, hey, it'd be really fun if we, if we went and hung out and did this. And so I try to coax her into doing something like, hey, let's, let's go do this. And there's this moment when I realize, oh, this isn't going to go well for me. You know, if, even if I do convince her to do it, I'm going to pay for it later, right? Like she's going she's gonna to need more space later. Okay, so I, I buy my time. That's what's happening right now. Is that everyone in this room? I'm, I'm saying, hey, we need to. We're gonna we're gonna focus on expressing hospitality, and everyone in this room probably is saying, Matt, I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have the capacity for that. I actually have my own community to deal with. To love on. Number five, it's going to cost you. Hospitality is going to cost you. There's nowhere in the scriptures, there's nowhere in part of being a Christian where Jesus says, hey, uh, pressure's off. You just do whatever you want. 
And he says, you're going to pick up your cross and follow me. You have to count the cost of what it's going to be to follow me. It's going to cost you. In fact, it's going to cost you your life to follow him, to be his disciple, to go after the stranger just like he did. Parable of the Good Samaritan. You know it. But as I read it, what I saw was what it cost the Samaritan to go after the man on the side of the road. Let me read it to you. Luke 10, 33 through 35. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay when I come back. It cost the Samaritan to stop it cost him emotionally when he had compassion on him. It cost him financially. It cost him his plans because he changed where he was going and what he was doing. He put his word on the line with the innkeeper. So the real question is not... What will it cost you to be hospitable, to practice hospitality? The real question is, what's it going to cost you if you don't? What's it going to cost you if you say, I, I don't have time, I don't have space, I don't have the energy, I don't have... Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Matthew records Jesus saying the parable of the talents, and then he goes into what happens at the final judgment. At the end of the chapter, he says this. He says, the king will come, and he will separate the whole world into sheep and goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, to you, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger. I was a stranger. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? and visit you in prison. And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, 
as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers. You did it to me. Biblical hospitality is practiced to strangers who experience God's grace and who become family because he's worth it. Because he said you were worth it and that they are worth it. of that parable is the goats saying, when did that happen? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? He says, you didn't, you didn't do any of that to the least of these. And the least of these are not just those who are uh, on the outskirts of our community, those who are destitute, but it's those who are spiritually broken those who the Lord is going after. He came for the sick, not the righteous. And that's who we should be going after. The sick, those who are in need, those who need to experience his grace. So, probably gonna hear us talk a little bit different probably going to hear us invite you to different things that express our hospitality. And we're doing that because we want to be obedient to the Lord. We want to be a good steward of his grace. We want to be his family rest of the world. So we're going to go into worship. Prayer team is going to be in the back. There's communion for you to meet with the Lord. There's offering receptacles for you to give. I'm going to pray. Would you guys stand? that's going to cost us. And in that moment, God, you provide. You provide a way. You provide the strength. You provide the grace. God, I ask that you would lead us now. Grow us into the expression of the church that you want to build in Homer, Alaska. Church of the Rock. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Can I have you sit for a second? actually better at hospitality than I am. He's more naturally wired for it. We're actually having some discussion in our office the last couple of weeks, and we're trying to define real precisely what we mean by hospitality. And there was one point in our conversation, uh, Matt and Drew and I were, 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 were trying to like boil this down, and, and what we were trying to solve for was, what's the... What's the word that describes the feeling when you walk into Uncle Carrie and Aunt Kathy's house? What is that? How, how would you describe that? Because they have the gift of hospitality. And what we agreed on is that you have the feeling as if they've been waiting for you to come as if they've been expecting you and are so glad that you finally arrived. So thank you for your example. <clears throat> this last winter, uh, or sorry, not this last winter, a year ago, my wife and I invited a couple over. I'd been living in Homer for about three or four years. A recent acquaintance of ours, To my knowledge, no connection to any church. And we invited over some fun friends, you know, to make it fun. <clears throat> had a great time. Just had dinner. It was a blast. And about a week later, I saw him, the husband. And I said, hey, it was so great to have you guys over. And he said, we loved it too. It's the first time in our years in Homer that we've been in someone else's house. we should do this more often. We almost obsess over today, right now in our culture, where everything is at, we almost obsess over our, our readiness or our ability to ideologically articulate our thoughts about where everything is going wrong in the world. Maybe if you watch five more YouTube videos, you know, street interviews, you'll be better prepared to engage that debate. Or you could say yes to the Lord and begin to practice. I love that word, practice, as in you do it and you get better at it. Practice hospitality and show the truth of God's goodness. So, this isn't a one-off. We're gonna we're gonna grow in this together as the body of Christ, as Church on the Rock Homer. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that for us. You guys ready? Yes. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for us before we go. God, I am actually not asking right now that we would become more kind or generous or loving. I know so many people in this room today who display your kindness and your grace and your love, 
generosity so well. What I'm asking is that you would make us more aware of the one who does not experience that. That you would give us eyes to see those who have been strangers that we can say, hey, we've been waiting for you. We're so glad that you came. And that we would be a people known for gladly receiving the stranger. Give us that awareness. Give us that kind of attentiveness. Give us the courage to step out and to practice hospitality. And all of God's people said, amen. Remember, everything God's called you to, he's called you to for your joy, for your reward, and your fulfillment. We don't officially end until 1230. The last I heard, Jessica Weiser is still out of town. So if you love Jason Weiser, stay a few minutes afterwards and help with teardown. We have prayer team ministry members over here. They would love to meet with you if you want to go pray with someone before you leave here. Otherwise, God bless you. May his peace be upon you. You're dismissed.